Brock McGinn, Rory. Brock McGinn, he didn't just ruin it for Washington. He ruined it for me because if the Washington Capitals, the defending Stanley Cup champions, had won Game 7 of their first-round series with Carolina in overtime... I would have at least gone four and four in the craziest oh, first round geez. ever. And I would have been calling that a win. That would have been fair. <laughs> but three and five drops me to a losing record. All I can do is shrug and say that was absolutely bonkers. Well, if Washington had won, that would have given me two right in the first <laughs> round of the playoffs. The Dallas, the Dallas Stars were the only one that I got. I mean, it's just a bonkers first round. Well, producer show was in here saying he picked the Blues stars and Islanders. Those were the three he got right. And I said, if you told me before the first round, you were going to successfully pick those three teams and then go chalk everywhere else. I'd be like, wow, eight. No impressive. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Someone buy this guy a chocolate bar. Yeah. And I was sitting there when Vegas was up three games to one on San Jose. Okay. They're my cup final pick out of the West. At least this will keep me going for a couple of rounds. And then not only do they blow that losing three games in a row, but of course that game seven, the five minute major, I mean, that, that was one heck of a wild finish. I can't remember a game being as shocking as that. I mean, four power play goals and then forcing it to overtime in the last minute. I almost went to bed (laughs) and I had to stick around for that five minute major and and really glad that I did. I had to tap out uh, and I'm blaming the four month old after the first game seven of the night, the, the Leafs Bruins, and we'll get there. We're going to talk Leafs, Jets and Flames, the three Canadian teams that have bowed out. And if you care to stick around to the end, we'll give you our second round picks, but clearly they mean nothing. But yes, that wild comeback kept my Western Conference pick in San Jose. (laughs) So I do have that going for me. Obviously, we both picked Tampa Bay. And let's just hear your little stat about cup winners the past three years. I think I'm cursing <laughs> good teams going Sports into the playoffs. Sports Illustrated, eat your heart out. Here we go. Yeah, I was thinking. So I knew. Okay, when Tampa Bay went out, that was the third consecutive year my Stanley Cup pick was ousted in the first round. And I just realized this morning. Not only is that true, three years in a row my Stanley Cup pick got swept in the first round that of the playoffs. <laughs> the Chicago Blackhawks three years ago win the Central Division, get swept out of the first round. Anaheim Ducks last year go eight, two and oh, in their last 10 games of the regular season get swept out by the San Jose Sharks and, and Tampa Bay. Of course, this year getting swept by the blue jackets. It was, it really, really was crazy. Do you think this portends anything? Do we, I mean, we know that parody has come to stay in the NHL, but this has got to be exceptional, right? Like we're going to yeah. go right back to picking the one seeds with some degree of faith next year, right? Like, do you think we're just now in this a completely topsy-turvy world where anything is truly possible? Or do you think 2019 is just some kind of weird aberration? Well, I mean, it's got to be an aberration, right? Like this same thing can't be happening on the regular now. You wouldn't think so. And I think, so I did a a takeaways article from the first round for sportsin.ca. And I think there were two things that stood out to me specifically about this first round. And the first one is that it was seemed really important to finish strong in the regular season. It's not always the case. Pittsburgh won the cup two years ago. They finished four, four and two in their last 10, but the only team that didn't win at least six of their last 10 regular season games and then got past the first round this year was San Jose who went three, six and one. And that was only because Vegas also went three, five and two. So somebody was going to win that series and come out. It it really seemed like you needed to finish strong. And, And not only that, 
But the teams that advanced for the most part were the ones that had goaltending tandems, guys that were sure. rested. Which Bruce Cassidy made reference exactly. to basically unprompted in his post-series conference about Tuka Rask. Yeah, and, and four of the top five performing goalies in the first round didn't even play more than 45 games in a season. Like, we're not even at that 50-game mark. We're talking 45, almost a, almost a split there. Um, 17 goalies started at least 50 regular season games this year. Nine of them made the playoffs and there's only two of them left in the second round. So, you know, it it just like you talked about it on your season takeaways when the regular season wrapped up, Uh, it's been something that we've been monitoring for a while. I mean, talking about it with Marc-Andre Fleury before he got hurt and left the team for a bit. It really is important to have two goalies and your backup needs to be good enough that he's not a liability and losing you games because you got to get to the playoffs. Ben Bishop's a Vesna finalist. He starts 45 games. I mean, it really nails the point home that you need need two really good goalies now. Well, we're going to get into it here in the second block of the tape to tape pod when we talk about what happened with the Leafs, Flames, Jets, and the other teams a bit as well, but want to focus on those Canadian squads. But my goodness, are there some players, some clubs, some executives looking at the board right now going, damn it, if only (laughs) we'd been able to pull through, right? I mean, it is just truly, truly a jump ball with eight teams left. And everyone who's on the outside now has to be thinking, damn it, if we could have just plowed through our first round series, who knows? Yeah, I mean, even... Like all, all four wildcard teams win, which is unbelievable. Uh, unbelievable. Um, and you're looking completely different, I think, now at Columbus and Colorado, who nobody gave any chance to really in the first round. Now you're looking at Columbus against Boston, um, Colorado against San Jose. Like maybe there's a chance these teams can even get by those teams. It's going to be, you know, especially for Colorado, I think that's going to be a huge challenge against the the depth of of really good skill that San Jose can throw at you. But Martin Jones is such a wild card that you could see Nathan McKinnon just having his way with him through that series. Um, And then, you know, one of the more intriguing second round matchups to me is the, the Islanders and the hurricanes. Uh, I mean, no one thought the Islanders were going to make the playoffs. Carolina seems to be finding some goal scoring now. And if you told me Peter Morazic was going to come out of that first round series with an 899 save percentage, there's no way I would think they won it. I did not know that. Like they took it to Washington. They were all over Washington. They controlled almost 65%, I think it was, of the five on five shots. I mean, that was the most lopsided series by the numbers by quite a considerable margin. Um, And now the goals are starting to come for the Hurricanes. And those two teams, you know, the Canes with their storm surge for all the, you know, criticism they take for their lack of attendance. The Islanders, they lose John Tavares, Barry Trotz comes in. Both of those teams are very much, they seem to be very tight-knit locker rooms. It's all about, you know, all for one, one for all kind of thing. And it seems to have really helped them. One of them's got to lose obviously now, but the fact that we're going to look at an Eastern conference final that includes one One of of Carolina or the Islanders is unfathomable. Well, I'll leave it at this. If you haven't seen the clip of Rod Brindamore in the Canes room after uh, Brock McGinn scored that OT winner, do yourself a favor, check it out and let the chills uh, dance up and down your spine. Also uh, PR man, Mike Sundheim. If you see him on the ice after that game, jumping into the arms of Calvin DeHaan, just, just a great, and then there are everybody's jumping up and down in the, in the hallway down to the locker room after just a great scene barbecue for everyone at the canes games that should be a great series we are going to give our predictions in the final leg of the tape to tape pod but after the break we'll be back talking about 
What happened to the Canadian teams in the first round picking over the bones of Calgary, Toronto, and Winnipeg? All three, really, with very high expectations. Obviously, uh, some crushed spirits there. So we'll tr- sort of look back at the at the first round series that was and chart a path forward for the Jets, Flames, and Leafs. Coming up after the break on Tape to Tape. The Tape to Tape podcast is brought to you by the next generation GMC Sierra Denali, complete with the world's first six-function multi-pro tailgate. Net sliding around on the way to pond hockey? Use the built-in load stop to help keep them in place. Loading what seems like half a team's worth of bags? The tailgate also turns into a step for easier access and has an inner gate that flips down for unloading all the gear you can fit. GMC Sierra Denali. We are professional grade. Welcome back to Tape to Tape. Rory, as noted, I think all three Canadian teams that made the playoffs have to be devastated with how things turned out. Calgary had the most points. They were the second overall team in the league behind only Tampa Bay. And we will hover on the bolts for a minute, but... What did you see? Was it just a case of Nathan McKinnon announcing his presence to the world? I mean, the guy was the heart uh, runner up last year. It's not like we didn't know he was a fantastic player, but we've never seen him obviously on this stage dominate like that. Yeah. I mean, for my money, Mike Smith was probably about as good as they could have hoped for. I would think, you know, you mentioned if, if you heard Peter Morazic was going to have an eight, nine, nine, you'd say Carolina out and four. If you told me Mike Smith was going to be pretty good, I'd be like, cool. Book exactly. Calgary's ticket yeah. didn't happen. That was the, that was the thing everybody was worried about in Calgary. So you're starting Mike Smith. Well, how long is he going to last before you have to go to David Riddick? And it, it never even came close to that. I mean, it was Mike Smith's series. He was excellent. And it, that's the most shocking thing is that Calgary lost despite that. Um, Colorado was just, they were such a, a much quicker team in that series, moving the puck down the ice. And it wasn't just the forwards. It was Sam Gerard got injured in game three, but he is one of those guys, a, a quick puck moving defenseman on the back end. Tyson Berry was terrific in that series. And then in comes Kale McCarr from the NCAA um, in game three. And same thing, like he's used primarily in the offensive end. But if, if this wasn't the craziest first round ever, that would have been the f- story of the first round that this exactly. kid came in and just played that well. Exactly. And because Columbus swept aside the 62 win Tampa Bay Lightning, yes. like Col- Colorado's upset here has kind of been overshadowed a totally. little bit for how miraculous it was. And it was kind of similar in that, um, obviously with the bolts, it was game one where they gave up the three, nothing lead. Then Columbus came out and was just boom, boom. It was two nothing in, in game two. Yep. And it just seemed to get away. Whereas with Colorado, it was, they snuck out that game two win, yep. tied it late, got the overtime winner. And then that was it. They just didn't lose again. Yeah. They just, they just look better and better and better. Um, you know, y- you need to get the big production from your McKinnon, your, your Ranton, Ranton and led them in even strength points in that series. Landeskog is a, is a good backup to those guys, but I think too, like JT Confer scored a couple of big goals in that series. And, you know, he's not going to be a guy who's going to get a ton of points, but that's the timely scoring that any successful playoff team is going to need. This is where it's going to be a challenge for them against San Jose, because San Jose is going to put 
Gustav Nyquist or Joe Thornton as their third line. Uh, they have waves that they can throw at you. It's going to be harder for Colorado to match up with them there, but you've got those guys like Comfer, Carl Soderberg scored 23 or some odd goals in the regular season. Like you just need to find little bits of offense from those guys and, and hope that McKinnon, and I don't see no reason why, doesn't continue to run roughshod. You know, the, the only advantage that maybe they have, Eric Carlson is injured for sure for the San Jose Sharks. He missed 27 of their last 33 games. Vegas scored 14 five-on-five goals against the Sharks in round one, and Carlson was on the ice for 11 of those, 6-4 for his team, 11 against. Um, He can create at the drop of a hat, and he's very valuable in that regard, but he seems to be allowing a lot of the play come into their zone, and if he gets mashed up against Nathan McKinnon's line especially, you know, that could be a a nightmare matchup for for the Sharks. Um, And then, of course, I think the most important thing that really turned around that season – for Colorado, because remember, there was about a month and a half stretch there where they were the worst Going team in the, the NHL. Way, yeah. Philip Grubauer was, again, great in the first round. He finished really strong in the regular season, and you just hope that he could keep that going into the playoffs. He started the first two games for Washington last year, didn't go over so well, so they went right back to Braden Holpe and didn't look back. So you just hope that Grubauer wouldn't have that same kind of lapse this year, and he absolutely has not. He looks like the really good number one goalie that they acquired him to hopefully be. And and if that goes on, I mean, that too is going to be a huge advantage over the Sharks if Martin Jones can't find some kind of consistency. I mean, he had a great game six against Vegas, but outside of that, looked really, really shaky. So one point, one assist for Johnny Gaudreau in a five-game series. 2017, Calgary swept by Anaheim. He had two assists. Shrug. I mean, he's young. (laughs) I don't think it like Sean Monaghan was, he was not there at all either. Um, I I really think that, you know, you can't really get too worried about this. If you're Calgary, I don't think because it seemed like they all along were taking this a bit more of a longer term view. Um, They have guys under contract for a while here. You know, the big contract that they have to get done this summer is Matthew Kachucks, but I mean, it's a given that that's probably going to get done. Um, your defensemen are signed for at least another season. Hannafin signed for a while. Giordano signed for three more years. Like you got a good base to go for this. Again, they didn't do anything at the trade deadline. You got to figure out what you're going to do with your goaltending going forward. Smith is a UFA. Riddick's an RFA. They both need to get signed or you need to do something there. And I think you need to... Do what they didn't do at the trade deadline and get somebody who can score a little bit more on that second line. James Neal didn't pan out in that role at all. I mean, Kachuk took a huge step forward again, but I still think you need somebody to play that opposite wing. Michael Froelich is probably done with the Calgary Flames there. So between him, James Neal not living up to expectations, you need to get a forward. I think that and the goaltending has got to be um, in focus for the Calgary Flames this summer. But you're going to return with basically more or less the same team outside of those guys next year. You just won the Pacific. You were the best team in the Western Conference in the regular season. I think you got a lot of things to grow from here. I'm not too worried about it. Um, if it happens again next year, Johnny Gaudreau, Sean Monahan disappear from the playoffs. Then it becomes a little bit of a concern, but they just didn't seem to be in a rush to force this thing this year because of their contract situation. I think Winnipeg probably felt more like it was firmly in its window. Um, oh, yeah. You know, lost the first two at home, seemed to get back on even footing, and did get back on even footing by winning two. And then again, 
had the lead late in game five, gave up the tying goal with about five minutes left, and then the shocker, Jaden Schwartz tipping one in. Out of midair. Out of midair, 17 seconds yeah. left. And it was just like, boom, that was it. Yeah. All of a sudden, they had to go on the road and win one, and they didn't do it. And, um, you know, despite coming back in that game to make it close, you know, they didn't have really many shots, and there were some questions yeah. about where was the push from Winnipeg. Yeah. This was a team that, I mean, obviously Josh Morrissey went out uh, in the last couple months, but it didn't, see, it just didn't seem right down the stretch at all. No, they had been trending down for quite a while. Like they were a middle of the pack team for most of the second half of the season. You know, their, their five on five struggles were well documented, missing Bufflin and Morrissey for an extended period certainly hurt. Um, you know, Patrick Line wasn't scoring for large stretches. He did get going a little bit for a, for a time in the playoffs there, but you know, him, Nick Ehlers was a, a big letdown there too. Even though Kevin Hayes was excellent for them, I thought. Um, that w- Their big trade deadline acquisition, still not enough to get this team on. Connor Hellebuck played played well enough. They lost that series in game five with those three unanswered goals. In game six, they got one shot in the second period. You know, that's not a recipe for success. Uh, to the point I made at the top of the show, they just ran into a team that was coming in hot. The Blues had been peaking since... Start January, January yeah. basically, and and Winnipeg was going the opposite direction. It was the wrong team at the wrong time. You know, maybe if the last day of the regular season plays out a little differently and St. Louis wins the division, Winnipeg plays Nashville, that's a heck of a lot more favorable matchup. Both of those teams were kind of struggling a little bit, and maybe Winnipeg goes by that. Um, the big question for them now in the offseason is their RFAs. You know, Connor... Uh, Kyle Connor is up for a big raise. Patrick Line is is the name, the goal scorer. Sure. But the you no, know, what do you do with Jacob Truba? He's if he goes to arbitration again and gets a one year award, that walks him to unrestricted free agency. Yeah. And this is a guy who in 2016 asked to be traded, later rescinded that. Part of the issue there was that he was playing on the left side when he wanted to play on the right. They do play him on the right now. But it just doesn't seem like, you know, not a lot of cases in arbitration go to arbitration and end up um, being ruled on by the arbiter. He went the distance. You got to wonder if he's really in it for the long term there. And if not, you have to trade him now. You can't go into the season on a one-year deal. Save some of your uh, summer thoughts. We'll circle back to it. Let's do the least series here. So Winnipeg, if you just go from Jan 1 to the end of the year, ranked 17th in the league, as you said, um, just, you know, kind of middling, really middle of the pack. Toronto was 18, so about yeah. <laughs> basically the same. Yep. And for that reason, and because they were playing the Bruins, there wasn't really a lot of optimism until they won game one. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they played defense. And <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden, uh, the optimism spiked, uh, and only to have the rug pulled out. I mean, this really was, I don't even know, I don't want to sound like I'm uh, on the team right now, but I don't know how much relevance 2013 has to, you know, very little, obviously. But even going back to the 2018 series last year, you know, Boston could have won that in five games. They were clearly the better team. That wasn't the case this year. It really did feel like the Leafs were at least a tick better than the Bruins. And after they played just a perfect road game in in game five to get up 3-2, Yeah it really seemed like they were going to come home and finish this thing off. And as soon as they didn't, you were right back to thinking, well, maybe, but what are the odds are going to win three games in Boston? Yeah. Especially that game seven where it's supercharged and look, man, I don't want to pile on the poor goalie, 
but that just wasn't the game to let in two goals mm-hmm. where you thought you, you needed those. The first one, especially the first especially one, especially the first yeah. one. And the third one, I guess not that it was egregious, but it was just that point in the game where it was like, if you're going to win this game, yeah. that's got to be stopped. Right. It can't go to three, one right there. And then, you know, like right from the, right from the giveaway by, by Jake Gardner, which, you know, listen, it, a play like that isn't a sign that someone doesn't know how to play defense. That's miscommunication. It was just an F up. That's no different yep. than trying to pass it up the middle and a, it, it, you heal it and it goes to someone in the slot. That's not because you don't know what you're doing. That's sometimes the puck rolls off your stick. It happens to Larry Robinson. You yes. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it was, you know, bad stuff flooded back in at that point. I really thought watching that game, it was the key was the second period because Elise came out and got one. Mm-hmm. And I really felt like they had to get that game tied while they still had the second period momentum before Boston could go into the dressing room, reset. They were really getting outplayed at that point mm-hmm. and come back saying, okay, we still got a lead here. If the Leafs had been able to tie it in the second, I think maybe they could have found a way, but same old sad story. Yeah. And that's why to me, it, the, those soft goals you talked about, the first and the third were the most important ones there. You don't want to fall behind one nothing and kind of set that tone in game seven on the road in Boston. Yeah. Like, here we go again. But then you make it 2-1, and you have been, I think, to that point, playing better than Boston. Much better. And it looks like you're gaining momentum and getting on them a little bit more. You have to score that next goal. The third goal for Boston can't be a soft one let in by Anderson, and unfortunately, it, it kind of was. Um, and at that point, you're feeling like, this is going to be, this isn't a comeback that this team is going to pull off against these Bruins. Yeah. I don't think, um, I, I think too much is made of, of Jake Gardner. If he doesn't have the awful minus five game seven in 2018, I don't think that play on the second goal is as much in focus as it is. That's just in everybody's mind here in Toronto. Um, it, you know, the top guy to blame, I think about this, has to be Nazem Kadri for getting suspended again. Just, just the fact that you're not just a, there. Just a bonehead. Uh, just a dumb I, play. I, I have to, I thought the exact same thing that Jason York tweeted. The list of things Kadri could have done, like honestly, punch him in the back of the head, yep. cross check him in the ribs, yep. tackle him from behind. Yep. All things you could argue you shouldn't be doing, but the one thing you really can't do short of a baseball swing is separate your hands, rear back, and cross check him in the head with the the part of your stick that's the two feet that's exposed. Yep. You're done. Yep, you're done. That's it. And I mean that that was supposed to be an advantage the Leafs have on the Bruins is your depth yeah. down the middle. And Kadri is one of the very few guys on that team that give you that physical pushback too. And with that gone. Um, your advantage kind of dries up a little bit there and you have to play William Nylander at center, which you'd probably rather not do. We know Uh, Mike Babcock would rather not do. Yeah. So, I mean, that puts your team in a disadvantage. So he deserves a lot of blame uh, for that series too. And and I think it really ends there. I'm not buying into the Babcock stuff. I was going to ask you about run through the hot button issues here. Babcock, Austin Matthews, ice time. And should Tyler Ennis have been on the ice instead of Patty Marlowe at the end? Yeah. I mean, more than Austin Matthews ice. time. so, the point hockey and Mike Kelly, I think thought did a really good breakdown today. Um, looking at the shifts and Austin Matthews was getting as many shifts as you would expect him to get in that game. It's just his, his shift lengths were getting cut down shorter. So the question is, is, is it Austin Matthews losing gas and not Mike Babcock, not putting him out there, um, enough. And, and that's a factor to me, the bigger 
problem I had with, with anything that Mike Babcock did was pulling Freddie Anderson with two minutes left in, in game six. Game game six. Game six. Yes. And I, I say that because I know the stats tend to lean towards pull your goalie earlier to make this push, but you know, when you're the Leafs and your advantage on the Bruins on paper coming into the series and in the series to that point is your play at five on five. That's where you are better than the Bruins. And you got two minutes left. You're down by one. You're five on five. That's too early to me to pull the goal. You're giving Boston a wide open cage to shoot at. I didn't even know he was out of the ice when whoever yeah. it might have been Marchand, I think, who shot it into yeah. the. And I was like, what's he doing? Is he icing it? And and I was the, like, oh, there's no goalie. All the pucks in the net. And they don't have full control when they're doing it. Yeah. Like they're not in the offensive end, embedded down there, now, feeling who, like they're in control of the situation. That was just too early. Like to me, put Matthews or Tavares's line out there at the two minute mark. Give them yeah. thirty seconds to try and do something. And if if it's not happening. You know, 120, 110, pull Anderson at that point. It, it Maybe that's nitpicking a little bit because we're talking about 40 or 50 seconds, but that could be the world of a difference. I mean, giving Boston two minutes to shoot at a wide open cage, that's too much for me. All right, so I'm going to throw an exercise at you, and I think you're going to agree that Calgary is going to be number three. So I was going to ask you to power rank them, those three teams, in terms of who you think could take the most extreme measures in the offseason. So... Mm. Calgary's number three, I would think. Yes. They probably they're staying. Stick. Yeah, they're sticking. They're, they might do some minor things. I would guess it then goes Toronto to Winnipeg one. Like yes. which? Yeah. I, I think Winnipeg is the most likely to do something more drastic yeah. because of the Truba situation. That seems to me a trade that's more likely to happen than not. Because if he, if he wanted to stay with that team, I think that contract would have been done already. And, in arbitration last year, he was asking for seven. The team wanted four. It ended up getting decided in the middle. Now you're talking about a 26-year-old defenseman, I think he is. Whatever his next contract is with term, every year but one of those, you're buying up UFA years. So now you're talking about, you've got a legitimate case that Jacob Truba could be the highest paid defenseman on that blue line next year. 50 points was a career high. Uh, the most used across all situations, even strength, penalty kill, and power play. Um, I mean, he's a rock on that back end. And if you're not going to pay him more than Dustin Bufflin makes, if you're not going to pay Jacob Trouba $8.5 million, I don't think that multi-year contract is going to get done there. You could get a lot for him via trade. So that piece alone, I don't think Toronto's going to move anything that big. I no, would be a little surprised. So, so Winnipeg's we, number one. I just happen to know that you're not in the trade cadre camp and... You don't think it's Nylander dangled? Uh, you know, I, I guess if it wouldn't totally shock me if Toronto did something big to get a defenseman yeah. back there, a Doughty or a Subban. It wouldn't totally shock me, but I don't think it's I don't think it's as likely as Winnipeg trading Jacob Truba. Just that that situation is is untenable to me. Until that contract gets done, that's something that has to happen. If Toronto gets a big deal done, it won't surprise me. But it just seems like a bit of a longer shot. Yeah, I can't see Kyle Dubas getting weak in the knees and trading Kadri just because of what happened. That would be a bit reactionary. And yeah, I, I know Toronto don't. fans don't like to hear it anymore, but it's still a young team. You got <laughs> lots of cracks to take at the cup here, and, and you just it's going to happen eventually where you win a round or two at least. L- yeah, let's just leave it at this. If you, if you had told people in 2015 when Mike Babcock took this job that the first time they'd make the playoffs would be 2019. Mm -hmm. They would have been like, we're in fantastic. Amazing. So 
It is important they to played zoom a good out series. a little. They did. They really did. I don't know if that makes it better or worse, yeah. but they played a good series. <laughs> All right. We're going to talk about the four series that are still going when we come back. Give you our predictions for round two. Could it possibly be as zany as round one? Who knows? Um, anything is possible, I suppose. But we're going to try and sift through this, Rory. Coming up, the final segment of Tape to Tape. Looking to stream over 500 NHL games blackout free? Sportsnet Now is the product for you. Available to anyone over the internet, Sportsnet Now gives you 24-7 access to Sportsnet's channels, including content not available on TV. You can stream on the go or at home on your big screen from the most popular devices, including smartphones and tablets, Apple TV, Xbox, PlayStation, and Chromecast. Sign up for as long as you want and cancel whenever you'd like. You can also stream the NBA, MLB, Premier League, all your favorite Sportsnet original programming, and more. Visit snnow.ca for more details. All right, Rory, I am really doing this on the fly. I'm basically talking through this because I haven't had a moment. My head is still spinning from that first round to really look at the matchups hard. But so let's start with San Jose because that's my cup pick. So I'm obviously okay. picking them in round two to beat Colorado, which I actually feel okay about, especially the way they came back there. And uh, I don't know the latest on Pavelski, but I know they're kind of sort of kind of maybe think there's been an update, but, no, uh, but the jo- players Joe kind of, was talking about it. It didn't seem like yeah, it was huge. What a, yeah, we'll save that one for another day, I guess. But um, I think the bottom line is a rough call on Vegas, but you can't allow four power play goals yep, exactly. or blow a three, one series lead. That's right. Yep. So I'm picking San Jose versus the Avs. What do you think? Um, I'm picking San Jose and in a quick series, I think it's going to be five games. I could be way off. Do the opposite of whatever I'm picking, sure. obviously, but I just think the waves that they can come at you with forwards, Brent Burns was excellent. Eric Carlson. I mean, he led the team with nine assists, seven, seven of which were primary. Um, they just seem to be trending up. And I love that story of, you know, they get that five minute advantage and Joe Thornton's on the bench saying, let's get four yes. effing goals guys or whatever he said, you know, that like, they just seem to be, maybe this is the year the for last that team. Maybe <laughs> this is it. And Colorado, I just don't think they're there. I just don't think they have the depth to match up very well against San Jose. Now this is a, the other West series is a meeting of our underdogs. Did you have Dallas in the final four? Yes. And I had St. Louis in the final there four. So boom, the picks Give are me made. this one, Ryan. Give oh me my this God. one. <laughs> yeah. The blues, man, you really got, I mean, after they lost those two to Winnipeg, it was hard to see them winning. It felt like, you know, now it's a two best of a best two of three. Mm-hmm. And Winnipeg comes out and get, gets up two nothing in game five. And you kind of think it's slipping away. They scored with like nine seconds in Yeah, man. Steady Eddie, the blues hung in Jordan Bennington big every time they needed it. And, yep. and Jaden Schwartz who prior to knocking the one in, in game five, hadn't really been doing anything. Yeah. Now they got that going. So um, I guess it'll be a question of they're now going up against a team that's been really stingy. And Ben Bishop, as you said, has been a Vezina finalist. We'll see, but I got the blues. Yeah, I'm going with the Stars um, in six games. Um, look, Jamie Ben, I think he got one goal in that first round, but he was buzzing all over. He was creating a lot. I think more goals are going to come for him. 
Um, that they've put together that top line again, Ben Sagan and Radulov, and they're almost unstoppable. And you can do that because Matt Zuccarello, who scored three times, I mean, he's he's really a huge part of that team and, and creating some offense from that second line. I think you're going to see a lot of double shifting from some of those big three guys. Uh, Jim Montgomery has talked about riding, letting his horses run before in the past. And Miro Heiskanen, surprisingly, um, led all stars defensemen in, in average ice time in that first round. They have a really mobile back end. They allow a lot of shots, but a lot of them come from the outside. So St. Louis has to find a way to get to that inside that Nashville didn't do a great job at, and maybe they can, but I just feel like Dallas with the, the solid goaltending, as long as Ben Bishop is healthy, um, they, they finished 27th in the regular season in goals, but they didn't always have those two scoring lines. And now that they have it, I think we have to look at them a little differently. Columbus is obviously not your average eighth seed. If we, you know, if we can still use that lingo, they won the second wild card. I mean, this is a team that in past years, people have picked to be in the East final yep. and things were not going right this year because Bobrovsky wasn't himself. And as I know, actually from speaking to GM Yarmo Kekalainen for a feature I've got coming up next week on the blue jackets, I think they really did just feel like it was a matter of time before they saw the real Bob. That's why they felt comfortable going out, not only keeping him and Panarin, but adding Duchesne to Zingle, McQuaid, Kincaid. I don't know. I guess at some point, but what I'm trying to say here is Columbus isn't just your typical Cinderella team that you would expect to get swiped aside by the same token. Boston's really good yeah. and was really, really strong the last two months. And, you know, basically kept pace with Tampa Bay is not a, a, an an upset of the same scale, mm-hmm. but but it would still be huge. All that is to say, I'm going to pick Boston here in a tight, tight <laughs> seven gamer. I'm going Columbus in six. Okay, um, I just think if if give, playoff give me, Bobrovsky has finally arrived, yeah. I, I mean, this team is going to be near unstoppable. Uh, Matt Duchesne has found his footing. Ryan Dezingle was kept off the score sheet in round one, but he was so good at the end of the season. Like that's going to start coming. Panarin is hitting high. Um, the defense was really good against Tampa lightning, obviously uh, in the first round. Um, and you know, we, we talk about some of these teams, the Islanders, the, the hurricanes kind of being about the group. It seems to be going on no there doubt. in Columbus as well. That, that um, pregame rally by John Tortorella was 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 amazing. I thought um, you see something like that from Rod Brindamore. So I'm that maybe that's the trend of these playoffs. And I'm no, I don't want to go away from that. It's not that Boston's dressing room is a problem area or something like that, but Quite it just opposite, seems like, yeah, yes. yeah, but it just not seems galvanized like the same way. Exactly. Like you've got all these players who knows how many of these UFAs are going to be back next year. Bobrovsky and Panarin certainly will not be. Um, they are playing for uh, the group that they have put together there. They're playing for their fans. They're just, they just seem to be coming together too at the right time. So um, I, I have to go with this wave of, of teams playing for, the dressing room. I actually think you kind of talked me into Columbus, but I'll stick with Boston just briefly because <laughs> we didn't get to it. Tampa Bay. I mean, uh, honest to God, you don't you, do anything. You don't do anything, yeah. right? I no. know. I mean, we're talking about Lee fans not wanting to hear it. I mean, this team was in going back to 2015 was in the final lost a tooth and nail yeah. final to the Chicago Blackhawks. All those games were super close. You know, obviously we're one game from getting to the final last year, lost six and seven without scoring a goal. But what are you, you going to do? I mean, Nothing. run it back. It's going to yeah. work at some point. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like 
All those San Jose teams, one of them finally got to the Stanley Cup final. All those Washington totally. teams, one of them finally won. You know, Pittsburgh. I think when we started the show, they were on the down low. Absolutely. And we were talking about what are they going to blow Three years ago up? when we started this podcast. Exactly. That's right. It was like, you know, episode one. Should we blow up the Penguins? They really, yes. they won the, they went to the final, then won, and then really became one of those teams that it felt like had missed the window. Yeah. And, you know, on a more uh, micro level, like, Bobrovsky was a terrible playoff goalie until he wasn't. Yeah. And maybe he's not this year. So you just keep putting a team like Tampa Bay has out on the ice. And eventually you got to think they're going to catch, you know, you do have to sign Braden point this summer. I imagine they're going to fit that into their cap structure there. Cause everybody seems to take less. The tax implications there are a little yeah. bit different too. Um, but I mean, you just, you just keep coming back. You, you've got some kids that look like they're promising in the future too you're not going to do anything drastic to change that team. That that's an overreaction. All right. Last one. Isles Canes. As you said, if you had told us one of these teams would be in the final four of the NHL. Wowza. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the underlying numbers for Carolina against Washington. That's been the story of the Canes for years. They just haven't necessarily had a lot of finishers. I look at the Isles and I love what's going on. And it's exciting. They play tight defense, but it, pretty opportunistic as well. And I do yeah. wonder if maybe some of that magic will dry up. And I think for that reason, I kind of feel like Carolina might be able to wrestle them down. I would say Canes mm, six. I got Canes in seven. Um, I'm worried about Peter Morazic yeah, uh, for sure. Um, but I think one of the reasons the Islanders were able to get by the Penguins is they really paid, played with some really good pace and that exposed Jack Johnson and Eric Goodbranson, they were just walked over um, by the Islanders' attack. Carolina doesn't have anybody like that. Their defense is solid up and down. So you're not going to be able to outskate those guys in this series. That's going to be an issue for the Islanders. And at the same time, you know, if you're going back and forth and back and forth, Carolina is the team that has the better offensive weapons. You know, uh, the Islanders put their, their, their put together this top line of. Uh, Eberly, Lee, and Barzell towards the end of the regular season. And obviously in the first round, they excelled. But beyond that, like, is is Josh Bailey going to be able to create enough? Like, they don't have the second and third lines. If, if Andrei Svechnikov comes back for the Hurricanes, Warren Fogel, a rookie, had a fantastic first uh, round. And then you've got the big guys, Tara Vinen, Justin Williams, Sebastian Ajo. Like, if this turns into a bit of a track meet, this is Carolina's series. Their defense is so much better than Pittsburgh's. The Islanders are going to be able to pick them apart the same way. Well, Carolina certainly looking good after knocking out the caps. I guess we have to give a tip of the cap to the defending champs. They, uh, you know, went down swinging, certainly in Ovechkin's case, went down swinging, yep. uh, trying to punch, uh, Svechnikov's head off. Uh, <laughs> just again, one of the many crazy things we saw in, uh, what will certainly go down as one of the all time first rounds. All right, we noted at the end of the regular season, not necessarily a regular tape-to-tape schedule in the playoffs, trying to jump in where we feel like it makes sense. In this case, we waited until the end of round one so we could uh, completely comb it over and pick up on round two and look ahead. The hope right now, listeners, is that we might be back uh, for a, a pretty quick pod just to check in on round two and maybe get uh, a special guest who may or may not be tab to coach the Philadelphia Flyers and uh, team Canada at the world championship next year, uh, or sorry, this, uh, this year at the world championship. So uh, we'll let you fill in the blanks there, hoping that that comes together for next week. So make sure you're subscribing, just check the feed. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can always just go to sportsnet.ca 
to find this pod or find one of the many articles Rory is pumping out during the playoffs. I'll have a feature next week on Kekalainen and the Blue Jackets. As noted, you can follow Rory on Twitter, at Rory Boylan, myself, at Dixon on Sports. And check back next week for more glass rattling hockey action on Tape to Tape. 